Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the world of wine, the different grape varieties, the different regions, and the history and culture of wine. So I'm back with Eric Lyman of Judd's Hill, and we've just been having a conversation leading on from uh, when we were talking about filtration and fining, and he's brought up something that he forgot to talk about, which is poisoning the wine. So what do you mean by poisoning the wine, Eric? Yeah, Velcrin. Velcrin is this uh, thing that nobody really talks about, um, but is used, you know, widespread use. And what it does is it's a it's a hunter killer um, poison, basically that has a s- short shelf life. So you have to have licensed guys come in and they dose it into the line as they're bottling. They are there to make sure nobody touches it, that it, that it goes into a bottle at the right amount, at the right rate, and then the wine can't be drank for I forget how many hours or days after. And what it does is it sterilizes, the, it, it kills all the things that could come back to haunt you, so then they don't have to sterile filter. And uh, my, my belief is, if anything should go on a label, that would be a good one. Because um, I, 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 I really feel that, um, and, and don't get me wrong, Velcroen is used in many other industries also. Uh, I think a lot of the beverage industry uses Velcroen. Uh, Nobody has died from popping a bottle that was Velcroen. I just don't like the, uh, you know, the, the pompous thing. Oh, we were unfiltered. And there's a reason why you're unfiltered is because you used Velcrin. That, to me, is a lesser, is a greater evil than, you know, if you see anything that says it's unfiltered over, you know, uh, you know, a few thousand cases, the chances are they use Velcrin. So it's, the actual use is regulated, but the way that, that we don't actually have to say that you no, used it. No, you don't have to say you use it. Yeah. yeah. Next time, you know, you're somebody's trying to sell you some wine and they're harping on the unfiltered thing, just to ask them, you use Velcroen, and uh, you'll probably get a very surprised look. Right, so that's um, so the use of Velcroen, also fining and filtration. It's basically making sure that when the wine goes on the market, it's safe, it's stable, and it's in a good condition. How you yeah. do that is, of course, up to the winemaker. So in this episode, we're going to talk about faults in a wine, um, how they arise, and how they can potentially be avoided. So faults such as TCA, volatile acidity, brett, oxidation, and reduction, some of which may be considered faults or may not be considered faults, depending on the percept- uh, perception of, a, of the drinker. Sure. But T- TCA certainly would be considered a fault. Yeah, TCA. TCA is, is absolutely the worst. Um, the, the reason why TCA is so bad is because... You only have one chance to get a new client to buy your wine. And let's say that client bought it off a store shelf, took it home, popped the cork, and there's just something about it. They taste it and they keep drinking it. It's okay. They're, they're not going to throw it away. But guess what? They're never going to buy that again. And it is mild cork taint. It's, it's, it's subtle TCA. The best TCA is when it's full-blown. You pop the cork. You smell it. As you're popping out the cork and you're just like, ah, there we go. That's good because then nobody's going to drink it. The bad one is the one where it deceives somebody into thinking, eh, I just don't like this wine. And, you know, cork, you've heard me, you know me. Cork is an outdated technology. There's just really no reason other than tradition and, 
you know, to, to, to use it anymore. Now there are companies that you spend a heck of a lot more money to have what they say is TCA free. TCA can come in from the winery though. So they can say, Ooh, there's no TCA leaving Acme Cork, but you know, it, it's, it's just, there's just no reason. It's screw caps have come such a long way that, um, everybody should be doing it. Yeah. What the cork can, cork uh, businesses are saying when the TCA free is that when it leaves the cork factory they can guarantee there's no TCA on yeah. the cork so any TCA that comes from the cork is actually coming from the winery so that's kind of their get out clause yeah. Yeah. but they will um, with these really expensive natural corks they will guarantee that they will pay for the bottle if it does get corked oh. and they will actually uh, visit wineries that have a problem with TCA to help them eliminate um, so when I was in Portugal um, researching Cork, uh, one of the companies said they went out to a winery that had a problem with TCA and they um, investigated the whole building and found one door which was infected with TCA wow. and that was where it was coming from. So they cleaned, removed that door and cleaned the winery. Wow. So they, they are trying very hard to make sure TCA doesn't happen, but of course it does. Because it is, you cannot prevent TCA 100% of the no. time. And, and though those same Cork guys, you know, that flew you over to, uh, to Portugal. We'll tell you, TCA only happens, cork failure happens in 1% of wine. And I mean, that, that, that's just, that, that number has to be skewed because we get it here. We, we do really good with our cork here. Um, I buy cork, uh, cork, cork bottles, cork finished bottles. And, you know, it's little more than one percent that I get back so that number is uh, is definitely kind of skewed um, and again I'm a big fan of screw cap um, just all around so just even if the one percent figure was true one percent is still too large a number of faults yeah. <laughs> you know if one percent yeah. of cars were faulty they would yeah. be in trouble um, so let's talk about screw caps then um, so there's different types of screw caps screw caps that don't allow any oxygen in and some that do allow some oxygen in. So mm -hmm. can you talk about the differences between those two? There's uh, different liners inside the screw cap itself. So what you see on the bottle is the outside, obviously part of the screw cap. Where the wine is open, where the cork would be, there's a stopper or a liner inside and they have different styles of liners that allow different amounts of oxygen. So they can, absolutely let none in and those are I think they call them the tin ones there, there's no oxygen getting in and out and those are great for you know rosés and aromatic whites and that and then there's three or four different levels of oxygen intake that permeability that you can get and there's like a 0.3 there's a 0.8 uh, I use on my personal wine one that's kind of in between a lot and not much at all. So it's kind of slowing down that, but giving it some of that. And again, they've, they've come a long way. I mean, there's a whole country that uses almost all screw caps, Australia. Mm -hmm. There's a reason. Uh, also, they're cheaper. So what would you pay for a screw cap compared to a natural cork? Like 12 cents for a screw cap uh, and anywhere up to like a bucket bucket thing for different grades of mm -hmm. cork yeah I, I mean i get the tradition with cork but again i i just think it's an outdated technology that i wish you know more people would would, would get by and people are slowly turning their turning their ways at Jets hill 
As a matter of fact, we have, are just starting something that I heard Plump Jack does where they do uh, do some in cork, some in uh, screw cap on a pretty high-end cab. And we're going to start doing that a little bit here just to, you know, uh, really, you know, hopefully the, the hope is 10 years down the line, somebody goes, wow, the, 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 the screw cap really is lovely. And, um, and all, you know, all it would take is one of the biggest, cultiest cab houses to just say, you know what, we're doing it and, and do it all in screw cap and make the stand. But again, I don't think I'll ever see that in my time here in Napa, at least. Well, in Australia, one of the most expensive wines, Hill of Grace, is bottled with a type of screw cap. And so if you spend $800 on a wine that has nice screw cap, then... But they have actually kind of fudged around quite a bit over the last 10 years. They've used different closures. So they've always been, I think they've always been a bit nervous about doing it. Oh, sure. Especially it's an expensive wine that's uh, very age-worthy. Yeah. So one thing about um, corks is that they... It's not just that TCA can happen, but also that they can allow oxygen in, which allows the wine to breathe. Mm-hmm. But that can also create inconsistency, inconsistency from bottle to bottle. Whereas screw caps are going to be more consistent. Um, whether you think that's a good thing or not, it's your own personal choice. True. But um, all of this kind of comes back to oxygen, which is really important for a wine, but only in very small amounts. So what kind of oxygen do you allow your wines to be exposed to from start to finish? Yes, um, we do minimal oxygen on our aromatic whites and rosés. We allow more oxygen intake on our barrel fermented whites. And, um, you know, we, we do some rosés that have to be barrel fermented because they're such small lots. Uh, on big Cabernets, we have some clients that really want a lot of oxygen in there. So much so that we bleed it in. Um, we, we have different methods of uh, getting it in there. Um, so we're, and, and of course, when, when you do open top ferments, you're getting oxygen in there every time you do a punch down, just in general. So, yeah, oxygen up front is your friend, kind of, you know. Um, and then, you know, of course, oxygen is starting the clock going, right? So it's, I, there's nothing, for, for me, there's nothing worse in that is is oxidized whites. I, I just don't, I can't, I can't do it. I know there's that Solera method, I think, and I've never, I had one glass, a sip, and... It's the last time I ever did. And it just reminded me of a wine that I made that was flawed because it got oxidized. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a, uh, uh, a Sauvignon Blanc this, this harvest, this past harvest, that I, I thought it broke my heart because I thought it got oxidized. And we were able to rehabilitate that uh, with some uh, a couple creative blends and some SO2 really bumping up higher than I usually do. Mm-hmm. To kind of say that, and then there's products. There's also products in a bag that can help with some over-oxidized wines and stuff. So yeah, we 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 by design get some during fermentation and stuff, and by design not for the for some of the reds. We use a lot of dry ice, uh, crush and stuff to kind of keep the and get the Sauvignon Blanc and stuff into a tank and. Um, yeah, so so that that's another one where it I guess it becomes a flaw when when you have a crisp, you know, New Zealand style 
Sauvignon Blanc that just shouldn't. It, it's what it, 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 it. You know, we're on the topic of flaws and stuff. It, it's always like with winemaking. If you meant to do it, it's okay. <laughs> Which a lot of the natural guys, I think, you know, go go behind. Um, and like I said, I had this uh, Chardonnay one time, and it was so oxidized. But the winemaker specifically made it in that style, supposedly, and uh, so that made it all okay. So what about the opposite, reductive winemaking? Is that something you practice at all, like exposing the wine to no oxygen or as little as possible? Uh, we do not. Uh, we, 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 we do that with, with like I said, the um, any stainless steel, Chardonnay, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, some of the Albarino and stuff we make, we just try our hardest to have minimal um, minimal uh, oxygen. Mm-hmm. So oxygen, all important for the development of wine from start to finish, oh, including, sure. of course, when you open the bottle. It's yeah. the contact with oxygen, which allows the wine to breathe, so to speak. It's like friend or foe, right. you know what I mean? And, and that's, uh, we'll probably touch on uh, VA. Uh, I went to a great um, uh, uh, seminar on v- VA, volatile acidity, or vinegar, uh, friend or foe. <laughs> and it was an eye-opening thing because I had always been like, hey, the VA's got to be below 0.6, let's say, grams per liter uh, in a finished uh, red. Um, then I realized, hey, you know, some of these other wines, I, I was I was doing, running labs, and this wine I loved had a, you know, 0.98 VA. A 0.9 VA in a Cabernet that has a lot of new oak and a lot of things going on becomes a good, it, it becomes a little layer of the yumminess and it's okay. But you put a point, you, you have a 0.9 VA in a fruit forward fresh Pinot and it's horrible. It's so, um, and, and you see it a lot with the, with the natural guys, uh, you know, embrace the flaws sometimes and, and. And I'm all, I, I, I totally get it. Uh, um, I don't go out of my way or hide behind flaws. I don't like flawed wine for my taste, but uh, some people love the, oh, it's, it's got character. It's got, <laughs> so, so flaws are, are definitely friend or foe. Yeah. And of course, two of the most famous wines in the world, Penfolds Grange and also Chateau Mazar from Lebanon, are famous for their volatile acidity. Oh. And without the VA, they would be different wines. And so they actually have to make sure that there is some wow. in the wines. Historically, they've always, always had it. I did not know that. I tried one of those granges yeah. too, and, and that makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah. I actually had a, a consulting winemaker in here one time, and he questioned me on, um, on, on the, the low VA. I was all proud of it, and he was like, ah... It'd be, you know, it'd be a little nicer to see it up 20 points, you know, and it's like, well, how do you do that? I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I, tried, I tried really hard to keep it low. And of course, Grange and Chatham's are a big, robust tannic wine, oh, like yeah. the Cabernet that you're talking about, so maybe that's part of it, it can uh, actually work in those wines. Oh, yeah. Whereas in a lighter-bodied wine, it would just... Take over. Take over, yeah. Uh, what about Brett? Do you ever work with Brett or allow Brett to develop <laughs> here in Napa? <laughs> We do not. We we do everything we can to mitigate the possibility of it spreading. It can become, you know, just a wicked, wicked thing in your cellar. I personally do like some bready wines sometimes. The good bread, I guess you'd call it. Not too much, though, because, again, it's a flaw. You know, a little bit can be character. Uh, a 
lot is just a flaw. And um, so, so yes, we, we definitely search for not letting Brett become a problem. So what you do is you do a lot of clean winemaking. You don't, uh, you don't use dirty thieves. You don't, you, you sanitize a lot. And then you hope that somebody catches it early if it happens. Then you segregate it. Uh, it always happens. There, there, there's Brett in wineries. Um, it's just if you let it get out of control and stuff. And there's all kinds of, again, uh, things you can you could put in it to help stop Brett. Um, knock on wood, we haven't had much problems here in Jets Hill since I've been here. Um, that doesn't mean we haven't had a few Bretty barrels and they go away once we and they get bottled last and <laughs> there's, we have never had a, a, a outbreak and, and we never will. Well, the ironic thing is that I occasionally bump into Eric in a local uh, bar here in Napa and he's usually drinking a sour raspberry parfait, <laughs> which has plenty of bread in it. <laughs> but beer and bread and um, wine and bread are two different things, yes. I guess. But I do like a little bit of bread in my wines, especially if it's Spanish or French. But it's certainly something you're not going to find too often here in California or in the New World in general, where cleanliness is everything. So thank you, Eric, for discussing uh, these faults and giving your opinion and for all four episodes. Yes. And thank you for everyone for listening.